everybody, it's the Machination Log for <laughs> September 6th, 2017. I'm your host, David Paddock. To my left and right, we have the movie crew. We have Nicole. Here, here. And we have Ryan. <laughs> have we started? Are we doing this? Uh, for all I care. All Mike's right, are on. Good. That's the kind of enthusiasm we like <laughs> around here. Are you tired, David? Um, A little. Uh, Reese's Puffs were on sale. And Dude, I'm you gotta really, go. We, you gotta go back on the keto, man. It's I'm so much really better. bad. This is the opposite of the keto diet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. And you feel, and your your performance is it's, is it's dwindling. But it's, but it's okay. <laughs> like, there's a reason why, even beyond the short term caprice of not, you know, allowing yourself to eat wheat and sugar and all these terrible things. I don't feel like bad, bad. Right. I feel reclined. Excellent. Which is at least partially a result of this chair, but there is no there's there's a settlement going on, and okay. I'll be off it by the time the hurricane's over, which is planning on trundling its way across the eastern. They don't side know exactly. Of, it it could hit. It couldn't hit us. We I'm, could get weather. It is the Wednesday prior to the Saturday when it looks like it's going to hit uh, Florida. And we're in Midland, Orlando. So unless the thing goes straight over the top, we're of talking us, about Monday before we get action. Yeah, no, we've got like we've got Monday a ways early to go. morning. And again, even if <laughs> unless the eye of the storm goes straight over this house, um, the odds of something really bad happening are pretty low. We're yeah. pretty far inland, so. But that has very specifically happened before. Yeah. So um, we, you know. we've even lived through a couple. Were you here for Charlie? No, I. Uh, I missed it. We I was in, in Nashville. Yeah, Nashville. Yeah, you're in Tennessee. Francis was pretty bad. That yeah. was 2004. Yep. Anyway, right. enough regaling. Indeed. Let's go to our current movie. Yeah. Which was from David's 1926. Pick. <laughs> Speaking of regaling. <clears throat> the General. Yes. So, Buster Keaton, we, uh, we already did a movie on his uh, spiritual nemesis, Charlie <laughs> Chaplin. But uh, the silent film genre... Which I'm going to call a genre until we watch enough movies to justify calling it an era. Because we haven't done that just yet. It's, it's we're at, it's we're rel- at two and a half now. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. relative category. Yeah, essentially, okay, cool. yeah. Right. No, I'm not, I'm not ready to consider it a time and place. It still feels like an affectation. We're watching Haxon. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, of a nation. Look, that's your call. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can increase the we, number of these 33%. And it is kind of macabre. Yeah, for October is the coming, coming up. Okay. The coming fall. Write a note. All right, excellent. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so silent films are funny. <laughs> because it's it's weird. This movie, I, I want to dive almost like directly into it. So I guess I'll back up. Just a smidge and say what the general's about. This is the end of our based on a true story segment for the podcast, at least until I pick the category again in some mutated form. Um, (laughs) And I picked the general because it's one of the first movies that, according to Wikipedia, is actually based on real events. Um, Yeah, he was – Keaton was actually very proud of the fact that he was adapting a story that happened in the past. Yeah. A pro-Confederate story, no less. In fact, he thought at the time, in 1926, that audiences would uh, not buy a pro-Union version of the movie, which, as we'll get to, might have been a mistake on his part and not necessarily a reflection of the zeitgeist. There is some good stars and bars-like still frames in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a, a lot of money. In general, this was yes. a flashy piece of cinema for the time. A uh, budget of seven hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars, uh, telling us about the 
great locomotive chase in a thoroughly artistically swervy way um, with a whole yeah, lot, I have a lot of, of story notes. Yeah, there's there's a bunch, almost too much story going on okay, here. Okay, so I wanted to make a quick note on this. Um, I watched this movie, you know, with the group. Then I read the Wikipedia page and I felt like, oh, so that's the the story. Because, like, the movie is way more vague than, like, reading the Wikipedia description of the story. And then when I rewatched it, I was like, okay. Yeah, there's... The synopsis that you read is, like, more informative in a way than watching the actual movie. Oh, that's not... The first, I mean, I agree. I did no, exactly I, it, the same thing. Is, but this is this is not the only instance of that happening. It's just no, that no, there I'm is a saying, lot that occurs. You no, know, I, I mean, this has happened for other movies uh, I've watched, too. This, it's like a very specific thing where, like, having someone explain to the movie to you is almost easier than, like, watching it to understand the yeah. story. The, <laughs> the arc I tend to use now is I watch the movie the first time with the group. I then read all of the literature there too and then i watch it a second time that's sort of what i did i didn't do extensive research since it wasn't my pick but i i did cover a few but the general topics um it stars buster keaton who for all intents and purposes is a stunt actor um he's got the eyes for hollywood he's got the ridiculously oversized pupils Mm -hmm. going on Uh, good black eyeliner yeah no i very expressive face, appropriate for the time. Yeah. Um, no Good idea. Good angles. High cheekbones. Yeah. Yeah, no. He, thespian, yes. if you will. <laughs> Vaudevillian. Um, and he did all of his own stunts because I guess they hadn't figured out stunt, stunt artistry just yet. Um, and that seems quite dangerous. Um, this movie's budget of $750,000 in nineteen twenty six dollars for uh and for all we know that of course is an infinite amount of money because <laughs> back then money was always worth more um they had multiple real working trains in the sets for this movie and uh a lot of extras they okay. did almost no there was there was no fakery to almost any of what happens in this movie. It was all actually, you know, we talk about the gulf between CGI and practical effects. Mm-hmm. These were not effects. No. They blew up a bridge with a train on it in one of the scenes yes. in this movie. Like, that happened. Uh, a perfectly functional <laughs> piece of equipment that they knocked out and didn't make the money back on for. But uh, we... Yeah, this uh, was... Uh, that's what I was surprised. So this was evidently a commercial flop. A though, serious one. Yeah, really. Like, it ruined his career, essentially. But, you know, in hindsight, became kind of like the golden, you know, like, Buster Keaton movie... Golden era Buster Keaton movie, like, later on. I mean, I don't know what angle you guys want to talk about this movie from, but the one that I want... <laughs> the lens that I was seeing this through, at least on the second viewing was the degree to which this movie purports to be something that it's clearly not. Okay. It's supposed to be a comedy. Okay, I wanted to touch on this topic too. This movie did not, it's it's almost a comedy, but it's more a drama. And it and I think that was part of the reason why they said it it didn't do very well with audiences because it it it's not clear whether this is a like the comedy's like not there's not enough comedy to make it feel comedic, but like the the story it's itself is very dramatic. There's mm-hmm. so much there's so much like intrigue going on, and there's a ton of uh, beyond just having extras. I mean, they hired half a town for one scene to have like a yeah. battle. 
Um, they they did a bunch of special effects. Well, and then by the work. time he gets to the sla- and I'm not talking about the stunt stuff on the train, but by the time he tries to put in a slapstick thing, like at the end where he has the sword that's too long, it almost feels awkward. Yeah. No, it doesn't feel intimate. No. <laughs> like there's too much going on. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's a very strange thing. I mean, if if this hasn't made it clear at this point, I guess I'll also I'll also rate this movie. Um I did not manage to watch the second time. I didn't manage to watch this movie the second time around in one go. Because I completely lost interest in it about halfway through. I almost lost interest in it the first time. I was was doing something while I watched it the second time on my iPad. But I, for being an hour and 17 minutes, it felt very long the yeah. first time through. It, it drags in it, a weird way. Okay, because so here's the thing. The entire story and, and everything jumps. It's like, there's a man. He has a train. He loves this woman and his train. Here's the woman. The war has started. The woman's white or the woman's uh, brother and father enlist. The man tries to enlist and cannot. Okay, so that all takes place really, really quick, even though there's like a lot of story is. But as soon as the train's stolen, like they as soon as the union steals the train after this, it's the whole movie's just a series of train stunts, essentially. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of the stunts are like reused over the course of this. Oh, they use all parts of the train. Yeah. Um including some extremely ill-advised ones. There are there are moments when Keaton is doing things and this is this is to do nothing to detract from Keaton's performance. I think Keaton's performance was almost perfect. It's just that what he was doing didn't make sense. Like it didn't jive um at some sort of like like a genre no, it's level, a bit of, it was It's confused. a bit of an awkward movie. I mean, there's there, there are scenes where he is being he, he is being pratfallish in an athletic way, where he's jumping from car to car on this train. There's a point where he's on the cowcatcher on the front, and he just leaps off of the yeah. thing yeah. Uh, to go into the other. Like it's it was honestly impressive to watch. Um, but that's not. It, there's something between the mission statement and the execution there that just gets lost. And it's it's, it's funny because this movie is considered one of the best of all time um, in retrospect. Yeah. And I feel like I agree with all of the critics from the era. Um, they did not like this movie. It wasn't just that it was a commercial failure. I think it, I think it made back like 60% of its money or something like that. But they were saying that, you know, they thought it was relatively dry and wasn't funny enough no, for what they came to expect. From. Yeah, it's peculiar. And I have not seen any other Keaton movies to really make a comparison. I mean, really, the only thing I can compare it to is that City Lights that we watched because it's, <laughs> it's the same time and like, you well, know. It's the same. only other movie in the genre that we've watched. Yeah, exactly. You know, and. With Chaplin, I mean, it's like clearly it's comedy. Um, but with this one, it's more ambiguous. And it's funny on the second watch when the train stunt section of the movie hap- happens, I I got like a it almost like like an Acme cartoon, like Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner type <laughs> of thing, like just in the process. Of of watching all these trains go like back and forth, and then like you know you're gonna put something here, and then I'm gonna put something here, and then I'm gonna throw this thing here, and then I'm gonna blow the cannon here, and then I'm gonna go back and forth. There's and, a lot of hair trigger antics. Yeah, but again, they're not. The hell was that? I think those might have been headphones. That's entirely possible. Um, 
No, there's and there's, we're back. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of back and forth, but it's not. It it's still again. I feel like there's a lack of intimacy because when I think of city lights, almost all of the shots in city lights are for silent films at least. They're very close up. It doesn't have well, the impression of being a stage. Well, that's because I I think that's a lot because like Chaplin was all about like expressions like. Well, but that's that's weird because I would have thought in Ryan I, by and, all means I, I assume you've seen. I didn't seen find Buster a, Keaton that expressive generally. But he, but he was. That's the th- like that's the thing. He was clearly expressive when they had the camera on his face. They just didn't do it very often. Yeah, he's um. So he's in 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 Laura, right? I think you're right to kind of identify Chaplin as being this like expressive, more e- even even more emotive, right? His uh, Chaplin. Uh, and part of what sit, what makes City Lights so great is its intention to have a an advanced emotional uh, moment towards the end of the film, like an emotional climax to it that is developed through the story and through the action. Well, but there's even a lot then, of like well developed scenes that kind of mostly go from A to B. Yeah, and I think that you know Chaplin tends to get the nod of being you know more innovative and more impactful and more relatable in the sense that. Um, you know, what he kind of pioneers through, and once again, I think it's both interesting, that, and we'll get to Keaton in just a second here, but, you know, both of, the, these are the most famous, if anyone's heard of silent film actors, it's fucking com- comedic actors. And I think it's kind of important to kind of step back and take a sense of why that is the case. Um, because it is through this kind of like non-heavy-handed way that we see a kind of, uh, this kind of innovation in both a technical aspect, which is what Keaton's more really famous for and from the kind of dramatic import that uh, Chaplin brings with his films. And it is uh, rather fascinating to kind of see the interplay between the two, uh, but it is no surprise to me at least that Chaplin ends up winning out with more modern audiences, apart from having a more iconic look, right? A distinctive Chaplin-esque no- uh, look to it, right? I mean, if I say tiny mustache to you, it's either Hitler or Chaplin, you know? And yeah. like, you know, like, those well, he two. picked he picked the right facial hair for being immediately identifiable. Yeah, and, but it is distinct. It is it <laughs> yeah. is it is immediately noticeable. Um, I mean, all you have to do is put a bowler on it, and it's no longer Hitler, right? It is like it co- becomes its own thing. And um, and Chaplin, I think, deserves that kind of credit um, for Ke- for Buster Keaton, though. Um, all right, so his earlier films, when he had more control, um, they are more. And I think we mentioned this before. They are more set piecey than Chaplin's films are. Okay. He will um, oftentimes find um, a prop or uh, there's a great one about um, about him being a fireman in a building that's fucking great. And like, but he will work uh, a lot of different ideas into a similar location. So you'll kind of be like guessing, all right, what's going to happen with this? How's this going to happen? How's this going to play out? And, you know, he'll have like three things and he'll do different interplays with the three things in different ways and kind of riff, if you will, on this set distinct issue that he's kind of dealing with. And that's what this movie kind of is famous for is this train, right? Yeah. Like how many different situations and different ways is this train going to be used? And that's really a hallmark of kind of like Keaton-esque filmmaking and, okay. and, and comedy in general. And that's why it's kind of like famous. And I, I enjoy it, to be honest with you. Like, I I don't know what it is, but this shit just like really stimulates me for some reason. And I love Chaplin as well, but like, I really like, I really, really enjoy Buster Keaton's work. And I, 
while narratively, I do agree that this movie does drag it's, more so it's, than it's just it's pecu- it's a peculiar little film. <laughs> well, we were, well, we were kind of teasing too when they'd have like the the narrative cards up, and it's like Jesus fucking Christ! Like <laughs> let's move it along, people. Oh, like, the, yeah. the narrative cards were very strange, and it I feel like this also plays into this sort of directional blindness that the movie has because mm-hmm. Keaton was so obsessed with the source material. I, there's just I was surprised at how much of the dialogue, especially, I mean, 1926 silent film had been around for a while at this point, right? Mm -hmm. This wasn't the first one. There were a lot of scenes where there was wording being placed for the audience to see that didn't actually need to be there at all. Well, this was a problem with City Lights, too, I remember discussing. Yeah, that's fine. David's breaking furniture. Technical difficulties. (laughs) Oh, actually, hang on one second. (laughs) And we're back. Um, Yeah, there were a lot of quotation cards on the screen that actually didn't need to be there. There's one specific example that I caught even the first time around as just struck me as odd. He's at the drafting office and someone asks him his occupation Mm -hmm. and he tells them that he's an engineer. He could have written that on a card... And saved us that moment. I have a few gripes with that scene in in general, too, because, like, the whole time, I mean, we assume that he's not being allowed to be enlisted because he's too valuable as a train engineer, but that's never really stated explicitly. It's like, no, like, get back to the line, and then, no, get back. And even when the girlfriend comes back, who is such a confederate whore that she literally <laughs> wants nothing to do she with him until he's does, in uniform. She does love a man in uniform. She loves a man. No, in she a, only loves a man <laughs> in uniform. Yeah, no, she's pretty exclusive on that. Um, yeah, he's, he, instead of, like, explaining that, like, oh, no, my job is too important for me to, you know, go be cannon fodder, he's just like, oh, they wouldn't take me, and that she it, is it, like, well... I don't want to see you again until you're in uniform. And then we jump to one year later. It's just a strange thing. The <laughs> only reason I can imagine that they did this was it was part of a setup for a gag that he does the second time. He goes back into line and then pretends to be somebody else angling a, his hat and down. And he says he's a bartender. And there's an old man who goes, isn't that the guy who was here before? Yeah, like the overseer or like, something. Yeah, like, and I guess you need that to make the joke work. But other than that, I, it just it seems like that's a point where they could have used narr- like visual storytelling instead of pretending that they were saying. There's also multiple scenes where like the characters in the movie were talking to each other, and I was like expecting a cue card to like clue me in onto what their conversation was about, and then there wasn't anything. So I was like, oh, so they're just. See, talking that, about stuff. See, that I almost prefer. <laughs> I mean, in this case, I'm in Ryan's camp with the subtitle thing where I want to be able to, like, contextually just absorb what's going on. Like, in silent films, I expect to not explicitly know what's happening because in the silent film era, I don't remember what the quote was when we were talking about Hitchcock, um, where the camera well, was yeah. not yet frozen yeah and um it wasn't so obsessive and fetishistic so i expect to not need the exact details of what's going on i just i just like looking at it as an art piece like both of these movies i'm just i'm just confused about what the reasoning is for when yeah. and when not to use the narrative cards or whatever the formal name of god i'm not good with silent film era stuff at all <laughs> So very um, rarely explore those so depths. A lot of like watching some Buster Keaton earlier work, you do 
you do come not to expect the kind of like, you know, the narrative, kind of like a holistic narrative, you know, string tie, string tying up kind of thing with him. Um, he's a, he is a loose storyteller. Well, no, because um, it, it's about the physical yeah, feats. Yeah, so the thing... It's the, like a Jackie Chan movie. Like, yeah. you have to have some exposition yeah, at the beginning go. and the end, and then you have Jackie Chan doing crazy things with ladders for 70 minutes in the middle. So when the, you know, for the for the recruitment office scene, you know, it is about, it is about, that that is leading to hit that, that physical punchline of him easing, you know, like, because you watch that again... And how he slips in the line and then gets the hat and then like that that move is so, you know, like eight different moves done in four moves, you know, like he finds this like economy of motion and um, and this this un- in- incredible athletic ability to find this like grace where Chaplin has a kind of like, um, you know, this meandering, you know, like like, you know, like the drunk scene from City Lights is my favorite ones because that one it's it's like full you know, uh, physical expression. But with Keaton, you'll see that he oftentimes like removes extraneous motion rather than adding it in. And that's no, what it's seems athletic. to be. His... It's a totally different physicality. He's, yeah. It it reminds me of ballet a lot. Yes. And in that sense, it's, you know, in, but that too, right? He's kind of like a form over function kind of guy. Like he wants you kind of like watching him. And um, it's just funny because like um, the other major thing he's famous for is being a prop comedian. And the idea of like using objects in weird ways and, and controlling them um, in, in rather humorous ways and using them. And, and once again, this idea of like, as I mentioned before, like riffing on this theme, you know, he'd pick up a pen or like have a pen in a movie scene. And then there, it's there's like four jokes, <laughs> but you have to like pay attention because it'll be like joke, 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 joke. And then, but it's like four, like, and you're like, what the fuck is he doing with that pen? Like there, there's what a just scene, happened? There's a scene in this movie <clears throat> where he has an ax and he's cutting up firewood yes. and then the ax breaks and he's trying, he doesn't just like throw the thing away. He tries to use it and yeah. then he turns it around and he, do, he does yes. essentially that thing. It's very theme and variations. Yes, absolutely. And it just builds on itself over and over. And that's what I think is uh, part of the reason why this is famous is apart from as you mentioned, the scale of this thing, right? Like it's, I mean, these are like trains and there's no sense in watching this that this is like miniaturized or- They that, used three real locomotives. Yes, and but and the only trick that we see them doing is uh, running the film at different speed lengths to try to have it make sense in, in its, you know, in its, uh, in its, uh, in its action. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there is, there's no idea that this is like we're somehow being- you know, that these are special effects as they would have considered it at the time period, right? There's no, uh, there's none of that going on with this. And, you know, that is, that is classic kind of Keaton-esque in its, in its way as well. Like sets are real life. They're big. Well, he's interacting he is with real objects. moving through them. Except, like, except for the logs. The logs seemed a little bit lighter than I hope so, regular anyway. logs. I mean. Otherwise, that guy was, is really strong. Yeah, that guy is ripped. <laughs> some of the, some of the like stakes and stuff, he was just like flinging around. Yeah, it's the past, man. People were tougher then. Yeah, I guess. Jeez. <laughs> People chopped a lot of... People pooed in holes in the ground, all right? They and were they tougher. chopped a lot of wood. There was a lot of just tree... There had to be five minutes, like five actual minutes <clears throat> of just like manipulation of wood yeah, in this movie. There was, yeah. <laughs> there was it, a um, lot of trees died in the making of <laughs> this movie and probably the making of The Railroad. So the Civil War had happened 60 years before this movie happened. Just which like means, not that long ago. Which like means in- that everybody who was part of it was dead. Um, 
pretty much. I, that's if, if if life expectancy. I under, you know there's plenty of evidence to suggest that life expectancy has really not actually gone up all, all that much in the intervening years. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, sixty years. That's enough time for pretty much no one to actually remember the Civil War. And yet, this movie is written entirely from the perspective of a Confederate soldier who is meant to seem affable. But he's not a soldier. That's the whole running bit. He does become a hero of the (laughs) South. A hero for the cause, though, by the end. All this starts because he just wants to be a soldier so that his girlfriend will like him again. (laughs) Yeah, and he becomes a lieutenant and they ride off into the sunset and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just tone, everything about the tone of this movie strikes me as just absolutely bizarre. And it was deliberate. It was, it it did not have to be a pro-Confederate movie. It was just written that way. Yes. Um, the unionists, they, you know, there's like a conference between the general and the spy of the general and they're like, they've got their 10 picked men for the heist. Yeah. Uh, but they don't really, I mean, they show that, but they do almost no humanization of any of those characters. No. Um, and I couldn't really find a compelling reason why they opted to do that. Yeah. Um, other than a focus explicitly on Keaton's character. Um, but that didn't actually seem like it was necessary. I, I don't understand this movie. Like, I just don't. I don't <laughs> no, get. No, it's, it's peculiar. I, it was I, a different time, man. A different time. But it, but again, there. this is, I, I guess. So what did I, you read anything about what the true story this thing is based on? Yeah, is? it's not terribly accurate. The, okay. Um, <laughs> the, but they didn't change it around. It's not like a union railroad that gets captured no, by a no, Confederate no, no, no. It's spy not the, the Revenant. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's, no, it's, yes, it he is has a half-black child. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is based on a true story. Gotcha, okay. But there's, what, what I think it's doing is it's making me wonder about what we consider the greatest films of all time because I, I agree, like I said Maybe before, we need I to see more... With, Maybe we need to see more stuff from that time to see what what it was up against. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think I, that would be necessary because I just don't like. I totally agree with the critics of the period in which this was made, and like this retrospective. No, this was. I I, I don't understand that. Um, again, other, other than Keaton's actual performance, his execution was masterful. Even that scene that I was talking about with the axe, where he's holding the axe yeah. head, the joke there could not have been sold if he wasn't as good as he yeah. was at manipulating the axe to make it seem ridiculous. Yeah. Like there is, there's a tremendous amount of craft going into that. But that is completely at odds with the movie that's going on around it. Right. Well, I, look, I don't give it too hard a knock for, for being this, I mean, it's essentially pro-Confederate because, yeah, it's essentially pro-Confederate. No, no qualifications. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it I, is... But, like, that I, that doesn't really factor in for no, me no, at I all was, too much. I was, I was just bringing it up like, as part of the confusion about yes. the movie in general. Look, I mean, it is it is whitewashed. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, this is not... This is, like, pro-Confederacy. There's not like, one black person in this movie. And there's not, like, one mention of... I mean, because there There's not are, one mention of slavery or anything to that effect. There is some overtly racist shit 
in other silent era films yes. from yeah from yes. this, even no, this earlier is, this and from is this time almost period. like apolitical because really the only reason he's trying to become part of the army is because that's what his girlfriend is demanding. Well and and rather ironically too is that the one scene And to be fair, you know, the union did steal his train. Yeah. So it was like a personal, you know, so, but also, like, like rather ironically, the one big hero shot of the Confederacy is um, after the battle. Yeah, he he, he runs with the it's flag like great. and goes to put it, but he's fucking walking on the guy and who, who like kicks him off of him, and he so he goes stumbling down with the flag at the last moment. And when he goes to like plant this like you know pre Iwo Jima type flag planting at the end of, the, I mean, so even then it doesn't. It's 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 one glory moment is like subverted for comedy you know like i think that that's kind of the 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 larger point too is that like you know it is it is a whitewashing um you know it's it's one of those things too where it's like i don't think keaton has an axe to grind one way or the other about this that's what like, i mean i don't get that feeling at all from from that yeah and but which same, also makes it kind of peculiar in a yes, way exactly. <laughs> which leads once again to this like the charge of a, of understanding the tonality of this film, right? Like he's not exactly. Uh, it's not like he's committed to some kind of Southern pride message or anything here. Yeah, he's exactly. just trying to like tell a story that involves a lot of trains. Yeah, I just want to jump around on a train yeah. for an hour. Like, what is what is this fucking <laughs> politics nonsense? But I don't get it, man. No, I no. Like I said, he. Like so much of his notoriety in the field, and and for critics, and for me especially too, is is the is the the technicality of his performance. I mean, you just can kind of nerd out on what he does. I mean, I would the when you when you leave behind the the larger aspects that we expect from a story to make like you know to have an emotional context. Um, if instead you see this thing as like set up to set up to set up. Like it fucking is rather brisk and efficient in the way, like the the cannon sequence, right? Where they're where they got the cannon pushing oh, no, it's, against it's, each other. It's and really brisk. I mean, it jumps from like one thing to another to another so quick once it starts doing the train sequence like stunts. Well, and and for each setup, where we are once again aware of the setup, aware uh, we are highlighted to the risk and the danger with each scene. Um, we, uh, for example, you know, the, the problem that's posed to us is very clear and, and decisive and how they solve that problem plays out. Well, it's not always hilarious, right? But the execution of it definitely subverts. I mean, for one thing, it's absurd that you'd be in the situation with a gigantic cannon p- faced at an engine, you know, and you're battling back and forth. But then the way that it resolves itself is, you know, both unexpected and yet well pulled off and, uh, and seeing at it more as a kind of like vehicle in which we can have a fucking good like train comedy, I think it does that thing fucking rather impressively. I mean, there's, um, I mean that look that the the middle forty five of this thing um, is some of my favorite silent era cinema. Like I really fucking like it, and I from that standpoint, right? Like once again, you got to leave behind a lot, and I understand this takes a knock for it, and it is deservedly so. But leaving all that kind of expectation behind of what Chaplin is so good at in telling a story, um, I do not know of other silent films that scene to scene, setup to setup, are as effective as they are in this film. Uh, and I don't know what you, what, how in, you improve upon it. So uh, obviously, I have a kind of like weak spot for these kinds of films, right? Like uh, I think there's a lot of we could argue about like this having a lot in common in the way that I like it to like Wages of Fear. 
where it's that that uh, movie's set up from scene to scene and import to import and the tension that builds within that. Um, I enjoy that in a similar kind of way, right? I like really fucking love and know, enjoy how like, that's set up. But that one's like that one's that one knows what it is. Yes, no, abs- it is a much <laughs> it is a better film, absolutely. But and I think part of it, it is maybe because like I don't know, did like maybe a lot of movies didn't know what they were back then like maybe they weren't on that. that's what i mean i don't know like maybe this is a problem with silent film eras because they're still working out like what I, makes a good no but it's why most people think keaton's inferior to chaplin i mean that is the reason why i mean chaplin's films make emo- have emotional context and ma- and make sense in the way we're talking about this film not make they make sense in the way that this film does not but absolutely i mean now that you say it wages of fear Starts out at a camp, and then they get <laughs> on slow-moving vehicles. Yes. And I guess Ch- uh, Keaton doesn't die. Yeah. But but it is set up to set up to set up to yeah. set up. Obviously, Wages of Fear, much more for tension and the thriller aspect of it. This is obviously, you know, comedy, a little action, action comedy. I mean, all he, needs, all he needs is a black guy to have this be, like, basically... Yeah, you know, uh, uh, lethal weapon on a train. You know, like he's just that close. To... But it's not. It's like yeah. just too serious <laughs> yeah. for that. What is it's... the lethal weapon of the silent film era? Uh, that, they didn't have I, they interracial. Didn't, they yeah, weren't allowed to have black yeah, people yeah. yet, yeah. so they missed out on an opportunity there. Yeah. Lethal weapon was groundbreaking. You know, it's really amazing. I was... I don't know if that's true. Oh, it was the comedic in the heat of the night of its day. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, um, with about the same budget. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but this film too. I mean, um, I don't know. Like I said, it is distinctly personal reasons. I think now after seeing it with other people <clears throat> and talking about it, why I enjoy this film so much. <laughs> like this is clearly, you know, a little hobby horse and a personal enjoyment thing that kind of goes with that. But I mean, was there anything else that maybe like stuck with you guys at all? Was there anything in particular that kind of? Uh, uh, you know, came came to the surface when you guys were maybe like rewatching it or something. Like I said, it brought up it brought up a few of mine. Was like the the Acme thing, like when the middle when the train started, like really, and it it, it always makes me think because this is so much earlier. It was like, did they like get their comedic influence from stuff like this? I'd I'd assume that it would be like very possible. Well, the, the fucking gigantic cannon, you exactly. Know? Yeah, no, but it's so good much, stuff. so much stuff like that, and it's it, like I said, it's funny because it's it's way more serious. But then you take it into like a cartoon realm, and you're like, yeah, like you could have made it more, much more, more slapstick. But that's right. clearly not what this movie was trying to do. Oh, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the fact that I think the based on a true story component of this movie sort of ruined it. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> In keeping with our so theme. I'm so proud of that, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, what what of the true story part of The Revenant made that a better movie? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if he had gotten attacked by a bear, it would have been less interesting, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, they could have just done that and not known that that had happened to somebody. 
That's the other that's, thing. He that's, could have just made a train movie and not it had to have been some Confederate story. Yeah. Is that what you're saying, basically? I feel like that would have improved it well, tremendously. Thanks, well, thanks, that, but isn't that why you picked this horrible category? Because you feel like being based on a true story is a hindrance more than it's a help? I was hoping that we would be able to explore the depths of this oh. and figure out what exactly can be dredged up from the truth of the story so that should can have, enhance it. So we should have picked 127 hours is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not saying that. What uh. I am saying is that I don't know that we demonstrated anything of the sort. I don't think so. Um, Ryan, just, what was your movie? Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. There we go, Fear and Loathing in Las <laughs> that was Vegas. Entirely, that was like subjective reality just all yeah, the way that around. Was, I'm yeah, sorry that for was, the thumb in the eye. That was, uh, that was the only reason why I picked that. Yeah, that one was based on a fake story. <laughs> <laughs> but a real person. Yeah. Yes. And I would argue that the degree to which it tried to be faithful to the story that it was talking about was to its detriment. <laughs> uh, the Revenant, uh, again... Almost isn't based on a true story, based on what well, I heard. Well, it's based on a real person, but then it just takes liberties so that it can be a brilliant movie. Yeah, it's which is what's important <laughs> when movies are based on true stories. Exactly. Well, and that's the general. The general was actually compromised by needing to fit into the rubric of a story. They could have totally had train capers. And, and then you would have even... needed a Confederate army to pay because that that battle scene at the end was chaotic and involved many, many, many people. There were fifteen hundred extras yeah. for the war at the and end. And they all of had this. mismatched buttons on their uniform. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of homemade uniforming going on. Uh. But they they literally they they conscripted an entire town for the purpose of a war scene at the end of a comedy. Yeah. And that would not have happened if this was just about a fictional train caper. heist yeah. of yeah. a train. Well, but I mean, we'd never really buy the fact that he, this guy just simply loved his his train engine so much that he was willing well, to go but through no, all you that have to anyway. See, okay, so maybe you are proving your point because see, he tried to make it based on a true story and then he, he it, it just came back around that... We're, we were right that it doesn't improve a story. Like, he's just the first example of why <laughs> you shouldn't make movies based on a true story. And nobody's listened no, up until... No, because something happened. Because now Saving Private Ryan is, like, insanely profitable. Now, and, granted, and popular. Not yeah. a comedy, to be fair. Yeah. Um, or a Confederate story. Yeah. Or, a, or a story about right the Nazis. Yeah, right war. That's all he had. Yeah, they were on the right side in that war. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't get Christoph Waltz for that one. But yeah. the um But no, it doesn't it doesn't appear to help. No. Um No, I've so all right. So I was going to pick a movie um, called Compliance. Have you heard of this film before? I have not. No, I've only right. heard of the concept. All right. So there um so this movie is based on an actual incident uh, between a uh, a store manager and his employee who gets a call from a prankster uh, pretending to be like a like a store detective kind of person. And what happens is is that this prankster forces the uh, manager to sexually assault the employee. While on the phone, and and as in the prospects of like searching this person for stolen items, so that was going to be my movie that I was going to pick for this based on a true story. Was this, is there court scenes in it? No, it is entire. That's the cool thing is that this thing it entirely plays out within this within this 
setup that I'm just giving you. Okay. Um, and it's a fucking, it is an, it is impressive in the way that this film pulls off this story. Because you guys are looking at me like I'm fucking nuts <laughs> yes, right now. Yes, we are. <laughs> but you, um, but this, uh, this movie is worth a vidi. It is really worth your time to kind of check out. And because uh, I was thinking, I'm like, I'm like, I wanted to pick a movie that was truly and more importantly had to the benefit of every time you go, what the fuck? You had that little crutch that would say, based on a true story. And what kind of effect that might have on you, right? Where it's like, you know, where basically you have that like, yeah, this shit actually happened. Because I think that's where people perhaps build that connection, right? Whenever a film or a story or maybe even a a choice within, within filmmaking, um, whenever it starts to kind of like, you know, separate or maybe when it's about ready to lose you, I mean, is it just a way that like a mediocre mover can kind of, a, a mediocre movie can kind of, just force you to kind of just hang in there just a little bit longer. If you can tell yourself, wait, this shit actually happened. One hundred percent. Yeah. So that's what it is, right? It's absolutely. We we know why. All right. They so do it just this. it is. Enti- all right. So having said that, so we didn't pick a good example. Is what you're saying? Yeah. So this is the problem. Is that I think we all intended to subvert the thing rather than trying. I mean, you un- unintentionally. No. Did I mean, had, I proved yeah. the point that I wanted to prove, which is that you shouldn't let the real story get in the way of making an excellent film. Excellent. All right. But th- that wasn't what David was trying to get at. Gotcha. No, okay. I just so wanted to see what it looked like 60 years before either of our other picks. Yeah. And I think that it's just strange because it, it, the, the pretext of this, of based on a true story, uh, brings so much fucking credibility to, in a lot of people's minds. Oh, and yeah. Alleviates so no, many there's bad a reason. filmmaking there's decisions. There's a reason that's a marketing point. God almighty. It's just, again, I wanted to see if there was some other excuse to do it. Yeah. And no, in the future, they'll have to ban this in movies. You won't be able to allow to do this. Yeah. To protect audience censorship. You know, it needs to happen. I just don't. Uh, there, was, there was a possibility at the outset that there was a way you could play with this. And it's funny because I think the closest we got was the novel Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> because that is based that's based on a true story in such a way that uh Hunter S. Thompson himself had to invent a term to justify it. Yes, absolutely. In Gonzo journalism. And he doesn't even consider himself a successful Gonzo journalist. That's correct, yeah. Self-effacing on top yeah. of the rest <laughs> of it. Um yeah, it just doesn't nonfiction doesn't have a place in the reproduction of events. Yeah. I just don't like a book. I read plenty of nonfiction books. That's fine. Yeah. But books are full of just literal information. Right. When it comes to movies, I don't think that works. I think it but just you doesn't you're also, work. You're not reading like memoirs when you're talking about nonfiction. I've, I've read memoirs before. They mostly okay. suck, but that's partially because people's lives are boring. Um, <laughs> Based on a true story. <laughs> Most people's lives are not interesting. And on top of that, memoirs have a double problem because people really do a poor job assessing what in their life is interesting. Yeah, you should try reading a sports memoir. Yeah, that's why that's why autobiographies are no good, um, even with ghostwriters. Now, the best memoir is the essay by D- David Foster Wallace about um, that 
woman tennis How player. Oh, Tracy Austin Listen, broke my heart. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that no, may be so, my favorite so essay of all time. It's yeah. so good. No, that is. That I, well, is I know that Mitchell had great. brought up for book club, but Agassi uh, as an audio book is very listenable if you're into tennis at all. But, but that's like a train wreck or something. Excuse me, that's like watching a car wreck or something. Yeah. Right? yeah. No, he's okay. he's actually. I mean, for a tennis player, he had some good ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. Um. We did not get around to that one yet. We no, may. I mean, we I might. Just, I, it, I had heard it yeah. mentioned in Book Club yeah. Day or whatever podcast no. that was. Oh, look, David, I mean, in in another in a year or so, I mean, we could probably revisit this topic again and maybe give it the old college try where we actually, you know, find a movie, try to at least endeavor to find movies based on a true story that are actually good f- for that genre. I mean, for find a way that that can actually work. I mean, that's a, that's a task. That's you know? the thing. That's that's like research. Like I feel like it would involve something else. What are we doing here? Are we fucking around or are we fucking trying to like, you know, create something of value and usefulness for the world? I, I feel like declaring in some sort of semi-objective sense that based on a true story is complete bullshit is ah, okay. a service for the world. Excellent. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I'm okay leaving it at that. Oh, very good. All right. <laughs> For all intents and purposes. So we're just going to, we're, and at that, on, and on that note, we're going to, uh, we're going to like leave our, our genres in limbo as well. Yeah, because Nicole wants to do something for uh, the old October, and we don't want to accidentally make that not. I mean, we could just build in an exception for whatever you happen to want to watch in October. But... Well, it's foreign and campy. Uh-huh. Is it? Uh, are, all right. I'm confused now. Are we doing a theme? Up until are we are we doing are we no going we're just not movies? doing a theme all right not doing a theme until we hit October themes and whenever on, we start that then we'll go through our cycle then right themes are on hiatus until we have a good theme well I just I have an October themed movie so I didn't want to like interrupt any other ongoing theme gotcha great and so, we're getting closer to that time period so we've got a, maybe a movie or two to pick up anyway right yeah before we, we do could just, my pick yeah like a little wild card oh oh. Yeah, the themes, the themes thing, oh, I gotta we get can a, put it on hold. I gotta get a tasty one then. Oh, man. So, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I don't know if I want to decide. All right. Um, I mean, you don't have to decide on the spot. No, no, I've got three. I got three. Okay. On all the right. spot. Yeah, on the spot. All right, David, uh, how many, what Coen Brothers movies have you seen? Oh, let's see. I've seen all of the recent ones and almost none of the early ones. Okay, cool. Um, Nicole. How into? I don't like Fargo. How 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 into early Pacino movies are you? I don't like The Godfather. Okay, good. Um, all right, Ryan. What was the third movie you were going to? Oh, okay. Um, do we want another movie based on a book uh, directed by a, a fucking body dysmorphic weirdo? Um. It seems a little early after Fear okay, and Loathing good. for that. Okay, good. All right, cool. So, all Is right. The Fly based on a book? No. Uh, oh, you're close. Same director. Right? Uh, not a bad not oh, a bad Cronenberg's guess. Oh, because good for October, too. Yeah, He's got so that's some I, might, I might hold back a little bit off I've that. Been, oh, I've been wanting to pull Cronenberg, and I just oh, haven't the, had the right moment. I don't know what to pick. I'm like, fucking Dead Ringers. I'm like, that's the one I'm I doing. I almost picked oh, that so many God times. Damn it. So, all right, no Cronenberg. We'll leave that around. That gets exciting. All right, so I'll go to the Coen Brothers early stuff. All right, so I'll throw this out to a vote, I guess. Um, I was going to either pick Scarface or Miller's Crossing for movies to watch. I've wanted to pick Scarface, although it's a little involved. Like, it's quite a movie. Oh, Scarface. Fucking Have great. Have you seen Scarface? No. Oh, okay. never seen okay, it. Okay, see oh. that? 
it oh. you have to clear your mind of what culturally <laughs> it has become. Don't let that interfere with just how good of a we movie need to get intoxicated in whatever form we need to we you really should be intoxicated chemically compromised either uh, any in any sort of fashion that your preference takes we can figure that out oh this is going to be a good time i've been wanting to pick this one oh. is, is it like um is it like lenny bruce where everyone absorbed him so completely that he doesn't seem funny anymore is it that kind of thing oh dude just let it roll wash over no you. it's I mean, it's that it got adopted by a culture that like holds it in a regard that it shouldn't like because it's I I, I, have, I have another comparison to make okay. that you guys won't get. No, yeah, but no, but this is like I've, if his, if Hitchcock lived in Miami and did cocaine for twenty years, he'd make a movie. Like okay, Scarface. so it's the same thing. <laughs> you know the way we were saying it's embarrassing when you run into somebody that's really into fear and loathing because they're into it for the wrong reasons, and that's why it kind of gives it a bad name. Sure, Scarface runs into that same problem because, like the hip hop culture, I can divorce culture, that. I'm a furry. Yeah, because yeah. the, the hip hop culture has kind of adopted it in a very cliche way, and I wouldn't want that to like cloud. Just what a fun movie it is yeah, to watch. Yeah, no, this is this like is, it's you know it's it's not something you should live your life by, which these people are trying to promote this kind of weird idea. But no. it is a fantastic ride. Yeah, it is the second best comedy of the eighties, and it is fucking great. That sounds yeah, dude. You that, were in for that a sounds real ideal. fucking treat with this one. Oh, I am so excited! All right, I want to pick Scar. Ah, we're watching Scarface. Damn it! I, yeah, I, I almost took this one a couple times as well. Ah, damn it! All right. And with that, that concludes Based on a True Story and The General and The Machination Log for this week. Nicole. Thank you. Ryan. Yes. Good morning, everyone. <laughs>